Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. I was honored that Maddie and Ty spoke with me about their experience with their baby who lived just two hours and 43 minutes. This is a tender story. It affected me, and I know it will you too. Maddie found out at their 20-week anatomy scan that something was wrong with their baby. So everything looked really good up until that point. And what were you told? First they told me that we just didn't have any amniotic fluid um, and that we would have to go see a specialist, which is really interesting because I that's the one thing I even know about in life <laughs> is amniotic fluid because it's part of my job. So it's like one of the only things I'm familiar with. So. It was really interesting that I would be put in this place to learn about something that I would experience a little bit later. When they went to the specialist, they did a 45 minute to an hour long ultrasound. They saw that their baby's bladder was large and his kidneys were covered with cysts. It looked like a sponge, they said. And they could see little, hardly any or, or none kidney function. Yeah, so, um, so we met with the doctor after we met with the ultrasound tech and she told us that there was a block in his urinary tract kind of causing his waist to be backed up to the kidneys and then tried to be back, pushed back down, back up, back down. And so his bladder was full of weeks worth of waste and that's why we had no fluid because when babies have their fluid, they eat it and then they get rid of it and then they eat it and get rid of it and that's what helps develop their whole internal organs. So that's what we found. Ty's first thoughts were to do a Google search about amniotic fluid. I'm gonna Google and research and figure out who doesn't have amniotic fluid, right? So I found that we were in a very small subset. And then we went and saw the specialist and we kind of learned that there, what the blockage probably was, right? And um, at that point, I was like, we are a subset of a subset. We are a very unique case at this point. Okay. Um, I feel like I earned my MD in about three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did a couple of follow-ups to keep measuring the baby's bladder and his kidneys to see if something had passed through or if his bladder had ruptured or, or anything like that. So we did a couple of follow-ups. At every follow-up, he was measuring right on date. Everything looked really good besides the the tract that he was trying to waste out of. And um, she offered, because we, so this was during all of the Roe versus Wade stuff. So she offered to find me a doctor that was willing to terminate. Right. And I just couldn't do it. So I just wanted to hold my baby. Yeah. No matter when, sure. you know, so. So we decided to, that I was just gonna keep being pregnant until he decided that he wanted to come, which to me was gonna be 20 more weeks. So she ended up, she did find a doctor and the doctor was very willing and helpful, but I just could, I couldn't do that. And that could be right for some people, but it's, it wasn't right for us, so. There was no harm to Maddie to stay pregnant, so they decided to keep being pregnant. When Ty found out that they were going to have a child, that had been diagnosed with being incompatible with life, he had a few thoughts. Uh, I was immediately sad. Um, at that point, uh, we sat right there on the couch and we came home. We sat next to each other just like this, both looking straight forward. 
and it was quiet, and then I cried, and we cried. Uh, it was difficult, to say the least. You know, that's by far the hardest news I've ever, ever had to hear. Um, but it was thinking forward, you know, it was, well, what do I do for my wife? You know, I, I kind of thought, okay, you know, I, I will be okay, but my wife is still carrying my child, she's pregnant, and what is the risks for her? You know, we were told nothing at that point other than normal pregnancy, but it was every thought and emotion I, I feel like I expressed, experienced at every moment. After they finished with the specialist, they continued with normal follow-up visits like they would have anyways. And then right before my 30-week follow-up, I went into labor. So, <laughs> so then we did labor instead of a follow-up. <laughs> I think something that was maybe different for us at this point is that um, my thought at that point in time is a non-viable diagnosis. I was fully prepared to move forward with termination. To me, in my mind, that made the most sense, right? I'm like, you know, I, I don't need my wife going through undue stress. I don't need this. This, I, my child is not going to survive, right? And so at this point in time, I thought termination is likely the way to go. Her thought, Maddie actually came to me probably week 21 of the pregnancy and she goes, can we donate his organs? I've never thought about that. I actually found an article in the UK of a child who was the youngest organ donor, same situation. And so we started looking at that and that would, became our goals. Our goals right. were 36 weeks and six pounds. That was the goals for being able to donate some of his viable organs, yeah. which are lofty goals for almost any child. But for someone with a diagnosis like this, extremely lofty, which at that point in time, we didn't realize how high of a goal that was. Right. For the delivery, they went to the hospital that delivers high-risk babies. That in case there was any chance he could be saved, that he would be in the right place for it. I talked to a bunch of different doctors at our hospital and I talked to a bunch of the, the NICU doctors there and they told me, I just told them, please just make your best judgment if you can incubate or what, what are you, I'm trusting you with his life pretty much. So we went into the C-section. I had to have a C-section because he was breached and I didn't have move. He didn't have any room to right. flip. So we went into the C-section and he came and they and they handed him to Ty and they put him on my chest and it was the most magical, best feeling in the whole world to hold your baby that you've been waiting for for so long. And unfortunately, the doctors decided that there was nothing that they could do for him. Sure which I trusted them, so yeah. I think that there, if there was something they could do, they're not just going to not do it. Right. They put the baby on Maddie's chest, and she said it was the most magical feeling in the whole world to hold your baby. Oh, it was perfect. Every, the world was perfect. Everything was right in... So our son lived for two hours and 43 minutes, and I say for two hours and 43 minutes, the world was perfect. Yeah. Maddie's mom and sister flew over and stayed a couple of days after. They were able to hold him and meet him. <laughs> it's funny, because when I actually first went into labor, I called, we called them at like four o'clock in the morning. And they're in South, or they are about eight hours away. They, and I told them, you need to drive here right now. Like nothing's gonna happen in the time you can get here. So they made it down here and we're like, oh no, everything stopped. We sent them home the next day. And then the next day I went back in labor. I'm like, you gotta come back. So we flew them back down. 
So um, he passed at uh, 1.51 p.m. They probably showed up at two. two. I mean, they were yeah. very close. So we had all of our time with him alive at that point. They actually walked in the same time as the photographer. They found our room at the same time. And then we held him for, I want to say three days. Three days. Yeah, it, yeah. Just, it was it was perfect. We pretty much just passed him around the room for three days and I fell asleep with him on my chest. Yeah, that's very tender. When asked how that experience changed their lives, Maddie said, it puts everything into perspective. Our lives are so short. <laughs> I think it puts everything into perspective. Like our lives are so short and I wanna just make sure that every, I just wanna be so, positive. I want everybody that knows me to feel my love for my son. Ty said that it had helped him to appreciate time and people more. I felt a new kind of love I didn't know existed. And that was special. That was really special. And so being able to emulate that, um, the biggest thing is people started coming to us and saying, I had a miscarriage. Right. I, had, I had this. I had that. My grandma came to me. I had no idea. I, the, she had a child that she never got to see. Oh, wow. Never saw. She was left, pulled from her arms, never saw. So all of our family started coming forward. And that, to me, is crazy. I, I wish people would have been there mm. all through the pregnancy, you know, or people to talk to or ask questions. I've had probably five family members and say, we've experienced some sort of infant loss. And you know, being able to talk openly about it, uh, that was kind of special. They do wish that people had come forward during the pregnancy to talk to or lean on. Being able to talk openly about infant loss with their family has been special. Some advice Ty would give to a dad whose wife is pregnant and they just got a terminal diagnosis is that that wife probably knows the best. She, is, she has the closest connection and she knows things you don't know or can't experience and trust her. You know, I, I chose, to, okay, whatever my wife would like to do, that is what we're doing. And that was the greatest decision I've ever made. And you know, you get to experience good things out of it. Um, you know, do your research, listen to your doctors. They have a valued opinion, mm -hmm. but they are doctors. They are looking for you much like a patient yeah. where this is your life, this is your livelihood. And for me, I mean, the first thing I said to my wife is, I'm so sorry, he looks just like me. <laughs> he, he really did before they even cleaned all of his gunk off the he's like he looks just like you yeah poor kid <laughs> maddie gave her advice she had a friend who lost twins a few weeks after they lost their baby i think the best advice that i could give is probably none just well really the best things that people have said to me are i don't know how you're doing this or just acknowledging that it's the worst thing in the whole world. Like, yeah. I would just, just, for somebody I would just say, I'm always here. I know it's terrible, but I'm here and I understand. Yeah. Even people who have gone through some other things that we've been through, fertility, miscarriages, it's, it's not the same thing. So <laughs> it's really not like, to hold your baby and to lose your baby. It's just, I, I get it. I've been there. <laughs> Ty said to show compassion 
and ask about the child. I want people to ask me about my son every single day. I love talking about love him. And I would love to tell you his story. Everyone apologizes and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't know you lost your child. No, 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 please don't apologize. Let me tell you about him. Yeah. yeah. So, just show compassion. I don't ever, ever want anybody to forget anything about him, so I just don't let them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram, and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.